Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. You know, I didn't grow up in a church like Dwelling Place. And so I know for many of you to make the choice to be here, you're making a choice that I made before to sort of stretch out or get outside of what was the norm. And so uh, I just want to tell you that I appreciate your willingness to do that. And each of you are welcome here. With that being said, I want to teach a message today, uh, The Right To But Not Without. The title today is The Right To, But Not Without. If you did not receive a message card and would like one, you can put your hand in the air and you will be served at this time. But uh, there is more that meets the eye on the card there, meaning there is a lot of verses and things uh, for you to go back through if you'd like throughout the week. I might not hit every point and cross every T, and that is okay. And um, But I want to pray, and then we're going to move forward with the Lord has put in my heart to share. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I pray the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of your calling. Ask Holy Spirit that you would convince and convict of sin, of righteousness and judgment, that you would make much of Jesus. Yield to you, Holy Spirit. May Jesus be glorified. And we thank you, Lord, that you build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We're in this series. This is week three of the series, Authority Matters. I'm confident that at some point in your life, if not even in this point of your life, that you've asked the question, who has authority? Not just who has authority, but what is authority? Now, you need some participation today in this message. Participation of saying, you know what, Lord, help me hear what's actually being said and what your word is saying, not what I want to be said. So oftentimes we bring our current world into here and allow it to trump what is actually being said. And we all face that. So my prayer, though, is that we're all willing to focus in in this moment. Trust me, if there's something I'm trying to say, I'll say it. If I'm not saying it, then don't assume it. <laughs> That's the challenge when it comes to communicating one way. Nevertheless, who has authority? What is authority? Two weeks ago when I ministered, we looked at the passage in Matthew 28. After Jesus' resurrection, many of you that have been around the church or in the church for years are familiar with called the Great Commission where Jesus commissions those that have followed him through his ministry, and he commissions them. And in the commission, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, that word authority is the Greek word exousia. Maybe you've heard people say exousia before. It's the Greek word exousia. And what it means in that context is Jesus says, I now have the right and authority the privilege to influence all spheres of heaven and in earth. I have the right and privilege now as the resurrected Christ to influence all people, nation, tongue, and tribe. In fact, the word exosia, it carries with it the power or right to rule, to govern. Now, When you hear that definition, you think, well, what does that mean for me as an individual? If Jesus makes his claim that now he has all right, the right to influence and rule overall in all people, what does that mean for me individually? Well, you got to understand there's another aspect of what that Greek word means. Exousia also means the ability or the right to make a choice. When we think about authority, oftentimes we forget of how does my individual choice and the issue and the topic of biblical authority, how do those things intersect? 
God has given each of us here today individually exousia. Meaning, He has created you with the ability to make choices in life. This is one of the definitions that is used scripturally and biblically. It means you have been given by God liberty to make choices to do as you please. Okay? So, this is the first point. Is what do we understand about your personal vessel, your personal life and authority? Did you know that you are considered biblically as a vessel? You are considered biblically as a temple, as a dwelling place. So listen, this idea that we were created to be completely independent is false. It's a false notion. We were created as a vessel. We were created to express and house something greater than ourselves. This is very important. Now, for you as a personal vessel... And considering the topic of authority, you need to understand that you have the right to choose for yourself. You have personal exousia. God has given you the ability, the mechanism, to be able to make personal choices. Listen, you are not a robot. There are some theological conclusions that people try to teach that are wrong, that when you look at them practically and carry them out, that's basically what they're saying, is that humans are robots. That's wrong. That is error. God has given each individual a form of exousia, the ability to make a choice of what you prefer. You see it all through Scripture. Let's look at the beginning, how the Bible sets a biblical worldview. Genesis 2. In the beginning, God created them, and He created them male and female. And He blessed them. And He said, be fruitful and multiply. have dominion over all the earth. And He sets them in a garden. And so you have Adam, and you have Eve, and you have God in relationship with them. And then He says, there are all these trees that I've made. You can eat of any of them. But he didn't make them eat because they still have been given by God exousia. They have been given authority to express preference whether they eat or not eat. But then he said there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said of that tree, don't eat it. And the day that you eat it, you'll die. Something of your experience will drastically change. So what do you see? You see God. You see Him creating Adam and Eve. And you see Him telling them not to eat of a tree. And yet, they eat of it. Meaning God did not remove the exousia He gave them. They still had the right that if they preferred to disobey God, to do it. And they did. You see it all throughout Scripture in Deuteronomy 30 and 19 in the Law of Moses. It says, I set before you life and death. Choose for yourself this day. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. Joshua. You look at the book of Joshua. He says, choose life and choose death. He says, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So you have this God-given right, this ability to make personal choices. But listen to me. This right that you've been given by God, you have the right to use your God-given right to make a choice. But you don't have the right to use your right free from accountability and consequences. I'll say it again. You have the right to use your God-given right to make a choice. You just do not have the right to use your right free from accountability and consequences. Why? Listen, because your exousia, your authority given by God to make choices was what I've been saying from the beginning, given to you by God. Meaning all authority is derived authority. And your authority to make personal choices and preference has been derived from another source. And that source is God, your Creator. And because your exousia, your individual will and ability to make a choice is derived from God, you know what that means? You'll give an account to God for how you choose to exercise the exousia He's given you. The right to make a choice. The right to make a choice. See, listen, all authority is delegated authority. And because it's delegated authority... 
That means it's authority with accountability. And Jesus now says, listen, all of the authority has been redeemed and brought back to a place where now I have the right to influence all individual choices and people and all forms of exosia, all forms of the right to rule or make choices. I now have all authority to influence it. And he stands alone in that right as the resurrected Lord. Now, if we ended there, we would come to wrong conclusions. We would come to a conclusion that, listen, that we're just so independent and God has given us exosia. He's given us this authority to make preferences that there's nothing else going on when we make choices. And that's not the biblical worldview. So a lot of times why there are divisions between theological camps is because people refuse to hold the tension that biblical scripture gives. They go to what's easy for their personality or inclination to accept. So you hear people say, well, we have free will. Well, that would be into what we just saw, exosia. You've been given a liberty by God, authority to make choices. But listen, that right to make a choice is not free from other influences. And that's what you and I need to understand. There are other entities or beings that also have the right to influence or try to influence how you use your right to make a choice. Let's look at it. Your right of choice is being influenced by another right, and the right I'm talking about now is the spiritual right and spiritual authority. Go back to the biblical context, how it sets the biblical worldview in Genesis 3.1. So there's Adam and Eve there. There's God there. He's given them this ability to choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil or not and obey God or to eat the trees that he said they can eat. And yet now you find another influence. The Bible says that the serpent, the devil, comes and he begins to influence Eve by putting suggestions before her. He said, hath not God said? Did God really say? And what happens is you see that the devil had the spiritual right to try to influence the personal right and choice that God gave Eve. And he did. And she yields to it. And then Adam obeys and yields to his wife who yielded to the right and influence of Satan. And they both partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, we find the world that we live in. Here's what's interesting. Adam is influenced by his wife, who is influenced by the serpent, yet scripturally, it is still seen as they both individually had the authority of choice and they both still individually were held accountable. So though they're both being influenced by the right and privilege of another to try to influence them, they still individually were held accountable. And because of this, though, the devil and his kingdom has been set up. The devil has been given a spiritual right to seek to influence his will upon the earth. How do we know that? Maybe you've never seen it before, but if you go read the temptations of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, 5, and 7, he tempts Jesus. He says, look at all the nations of the world. If you bow down to me, I'll give them to you. Because he says this, this authority has been delivered to me. And I give that authority to whoever I wish. What's he saying? When God created Adam and Eve, he said, you have dominion over the earth and everything on the earth. And as you live in relationship with me, I want you to express my image and my will upon the earth. But they didn't do that, did they? They allowed another influence on the earth to influence them to obey and yield that influence. And because of that, Satan has set up his kingdom. Jesus summarizes it very simple. He said, when you think about the kingdom and what Satan's trying to do with his spiritual now right, that he has been, it was delivered to him by Adam and Eve, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Very simple. And Satan has used this now spiritual right and his authority to enslave sinners. And because all sinned, all have been enslaved. 
Let's look at it. Paul writes to the young minister, 2 Timothy 2.26. He says this, And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Watch this. Having been taken captive by him to do his will. To do his will. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Whose minds the God of this age, little g, the God of this age, who's he talking about? Satan has blinded who do not believe, least the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So watch this. Satan and his kingdom uses his spiritual right to try to influence and enforce his will upon humans by making fearful and intimidating commands and lust-filled commands upon sinners. That's how Satan seeks to inflict his will upon the earth. But there's another spiritual right and authority now upon the earth. And it's Jesus and his kingdom. And Colossians 1.13 says, He, Jesus, has delivered us. This is, of course, a letter written to followers of Jesus. So this is written to believers who have responded, made uh, a response to the message of Jesus. But he says... To those who have responded correctly to Jesus, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the power. Now that can throw us off because oftentimes in your Bible where it's power, we're not talking about physical might. Listen, this is not a wrestling match on who has more physical might, God or the devil. (laughs) That's no contest. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. This is about who has the spiritual right to make commands and seek to influence the will, their will upon the earth and humans. And it says that He, Jesus, has delivered us from the exousia, that right and privilege of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Meaning, there are two spiritual authorities and rights seeking to influence the individual right God gave you. Your ability to make a choice. There's two. That's why Jesus in the days of his ministry, he shows up and what does he begin to preach? He says the kingdom of God's at hand. Everything you've experienced up to this point, you've got to understand that it's a different kingdom. Uh, Pastor Craig led us Thursday in a biblical conversation of why is there all the violence in the Old Testament? What do we do about it? Because when we look back, what we're seeing is we're seeing a world where Satan and his kingdom constantly influenced human beings' will and choice to make choices that hurt other humans. And Jesus shows up and he says, there is now a new king and a new kingdom available. The kingdom of God's at hand and he says, I have the right to forgive. Mark 2.10 he says, but that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. See, sin was a tool of Satan and his kingdom to enslave humanity. Jesus shows up and says, there's a new king, a new kingdom, and I have the right to forgive. I have the right to release you from the wrongs and the previous choices that try to enslave you in condemnation and in guilt and seek to disempower you from God's original intent and purpose of why you were created. Jesus says, I have the right to release us and forgive us and to cleanse us. Oh, that's good news. But there's even better news. Because that's all the news of the good news I heard growing up in the church I grew up. That he had the right to forgive, but I'm still waiting to the sweet by and by until Jesus returned to deal with the rejection and the hurt and the emotional baggage from the effects of sin upon my life and the effects of other people's sin in my life upon me. And then I heard that Jesus doesn't just have the right to forgive, He has the right to heal, physically and emotionally. That the ashes that's left over from our past can be exchanged for the beauty of Christ. That there's an oil of gladness and joy where there was depression and sorrow before. Oh my goodness, that I can have a new, not just one day eternity, but I can have a new emotional experience now that I can experience now the power of the age that will come when Jesus returns. Boy, that was good news for me. That Jesus has the right to heal. 
He has the right to undo the works and effects of sin and Satan. That's why Dr. Luke in Acts 10.38, when he describes the life and ministry of Jesus, he said this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Pastor Craig preached last week about the need for authority and power. Jesus operated on both. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. The Apostle John summarized the ministry of Jesus this way in 1 John 3 and 8. He says that Jesus was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now watch that. That's the key word, might. It's not automatic. If people want to stay enslaved and they choose to use the preference of the exosia God gave them, their ability to choose to stay in darkness, to stay in their sin, to stay in selfishness, to stay thinking that they themselves are their own God, then they can do that. But Jesus was manifested to provide another opportunity to destroy, that He might destroy the works of the devil off of humans, off of our life. Now, how does Jesus make this appeal? Listen, He doesn't do it by force. Satan makes the appeal of his spiritual right to influence our will by force. That's why he's always given commands of fear and intimidation and bringing up guilt to to try to manipulate and enslave us further into sin. He gives us lust-filled options to try to enslave us. But Jesus, he makes an appeal. He makes an appeal, watch this, through his life. And he makes an appeal through the death, burial, and his resurrection. That he's the only one who died and overcame never to die again. He makes an appeal through his life, through his death, his resurrection. Watch this. And now through the preaching of his message. And those of us who have responded correctly to this appeal, we have, as we saw in Colossians, been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness where the devil had the constant right and privilege to try to enslave us into Jesus' kingdom. A kingdom that was founded on the righteousness and then The love demonstrated through Him willingly giving His life for us. And here's what it means if you've responded correctly to His message. And you're now, your exosia, your privilege God gave you to make a choice, your ability to make a choice, has now came under the spiritual authority and right of Jesus to influence your will and desire. Here's what it means for you. All born-again followers of Jesus Christ... Always, listen to me, not sometimes, all born-again followers of Jesus Christ always have authority over the devil regarding their own life. In Christ, you are the absolute, complete gatekeeper of your vessel in your life. Now, that notice I said your own life. What you'll find out is you don't always have authority over the devil in someone else's life. Why? Because God gave them exosia. He gave them the privilege and the ability to make a choice to stay in their sin or to give place to the devil if they want to. And I cannot exercise spiritual authority over someone's individual exosia and will if they want to stay bound. Stay bound. And unfortunately, I've seen it. Seldom. But I have seen where demons had manifested in an individual and he refused to let Jesus liberate him because he loved the the sin that had opened the door to it. Now that's been seldom. Most people, when demons manifested them, have been willing to let Jesus set them free and he's been faithful to do it. But it, it does happen where someone doesn't want to surrender that exosia that God gave them, the ability to prefer and choose to Jesus' kingdom and influence. Now, why is this important? Here's why. We have big issues going on in people's lives around us. We have big issues going on in the culture and the world around us. There's always been big issues. It's big to us because we're living through it in 2020, but there were big issues to people living in 1817. There's always big issues going around people, but here's the point. If we do not know how to exercise the authority we have over the devil in our own life, How would we be able to exercise authority over the devil in someone else's life if they want to be free? It's very important. Watch this, James 4, 5, and 7. Apostle James, he writes, he says, Do you 
Think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. So who's he speaking to? Speaking to believers. Believers who as a vessel, the Spirit of God lives in them. But he says this, but he gives more grace. Ain't that good news? God's got more enablement and empowerment for all of us available today. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Posture matters. Attitude matters. God looks at the heart. That matters. Verse 7, here's the point. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Hey, believer, he'll flee from you. Because even if you've given place to the enemy, you still always have authority to take back the place you gave him in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Even if you've opened up a door in your home or in your marriage or in your business and you've allowed the enemy to come in, you still have always the authority to take back that ground in the name of Jesus. Can I tell some of you, you've been praying. I didn't say this at the first gathering, so maybe it needs to be said in this gathering. But some of you have been praying, God, deliver me, God, deliver me, God, deliver me from this. And you're a follower of Jesus. And here's what you got to understand. God already delivered to you what you need to take care of the situation in Christ. And what God says is, is no, you opened up the door and you gave place for the enemy to come in and he's trying now to just stay on your couch and you don't want him there, here's what you do. You don't pray for God to deliver. You go and you let the blood of Jesus cleanse where you open the door and you tell the devil you're taking back the ground you've given to him and you ask Jesus and the Holy Spirit to come and enforce his kingdom and you throw him out of where you let him in in Jesus' name. God's given you that exosia. If you made the choice to give place, then you can make the choice. That's what repentance is. A change of the preference of the will and change of your mind to say no longer. Now get out. And Holy Spirit, now you come and fill this area. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. He'll restore liberty to you. He'll restore the freedom and the joy of your salvation again. Oh, go read the Psalms. That's the beauty, even in the Old Testament, that there was ways for them, even after they've sinned, to have the beauty of the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in their life, the joy. Now watch this. Here's the point. That God's not only given you the right to choose for yourself, and your right of choice is not only being influenced by another right, spiritual right of Satan's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom, but God highly values personal leadership. He highly values personal leadership. Why? Look at these verses together. Proverbs 25 and 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, that's pretty amazing. God compares an individual who has no personal leadership, no ability to rule and lead their own life. He equates that as an entire city without walls. Wow. What's so challenging about that? Because we normally think, that the larger the scale, the more important to God. And what God's saying is, no, no, no. An individual learning to lead their life in obedience to me is just as valuable than an entire city being defended. Very challenging. What you're seeing is, is God highly values personal leadership. And I'll tell you why. Just hold on. Look at the next one, Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now, if that ever goes against most accepted American norms of what is valuable, we like to be able to measure, like, you know, it's about how big and how much you do and how great it is measurable. God's measurement's a little different. He says this. He says that there can be someone who takes an entire city but can't rule their own life, and yet he finds better someone who's able to rule their life, not become enslaved to anger, than someone who's enslaved but can take an entire city. Well, that's challenging, ain't it? That means the metrics of the culture around us is different than how God values things. God values personal leadership very high. Very high. Now look at Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Whoop! Now we're getting insight. Paul writes to the church in Ephesians. He writes to believers. He says, listen, 
You're going to get angry at times. Just don't allow that anger to not be dealt with and boil over into sin. Because when you do, you give place to the devil. And darkness can't overcome darkness. Meaning, if you give place to the devil, you can no longer be used to try to demonstrate the devil's defeat in other areas around you. So personal leadership becomes very valuable. Because you can try to do the right thing in the wrong spirit. And that doesn't meet the standard of God. God says, I value personal leadership so greatly. Why? Listen to me. God has an end intended. And the end of what God is doing is bigger than what He's just currently doing in your life. However, for Him to get the end that He's working towards... He still needs you to let Him do what He's doing in your life. That's why personal leadership is so valuable. If I don't allow God to do what He's doing now in me, then the end that He's working towards where He wants to do through me will be hindered. Listen, there is a lot that God wants to do around us, but as the body of Christ, He can't do it around us if you and I individually don't let Him first do it in us. And that's where there's so much deception going on. And it always been going on. It's way easier for me to tell people what they should do than let God first do it in me. It's way easier to talk about all the big things that need to happen and resist what God's trying to move and the little things in me. Listen, when... When you look at the lives of some of the people in the Old Testament, if you lined up all of the achievements, the big things they did, it wouldn't amount to much when it comes to American measurements. And yet we call them heroes of faith. They're in Hebrews chapter 11, Pastor Craig. They're heroes and examples of faith. What do we see? We see when we look at the individual that it doesn't look like what God's doing in them is that great. But here's what you got to remember. There's more to the story than just their life. When you look at Abraham's life, you may say, God didn't do that much if you just look at Abraham's life by himself. But when you understand that God found Abraham, yielded so that he allowed God to move and do what he wanted to do in Abraham's life so that he was working towards an end. Meaning, God was not just working in Abraham's life for Abraham's life. He was working in Abraham's life because he had an end intended. So even though it doesn't look like that Abraham did a lot of great and mighty things, because God, Abraham allowed God to move in his life, it allowed God to move towards his end intended. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had the twelve. The twelve became a nation. What God did in Abraham, when you look at the whole story, impacted many. But if you just looked at Abraham's obedience, it wouldn't look that great. What I'm trying to tell you, it's very easy for you to try to do great things to appeal to say I'm great than it is a lot harder to let God show you the value of personal leadership and Him leading you to have rule over your own spirit. Listen, now, God values that so much because He can't get the end intended. Part of the end intended for this community is to see Christ manifested in many ways. There's a lot of things that God would like to make right around us. There's a lot of healing that God would want to heal around us. There's a lot of homes and people God would want to minister around us. God's working towards that end, but God can't get the end if you and I forget how much He values personal leadership. It starts with you and me for God to work towards what He's working towards. So here's the point. Why does God highly value personal leadership? Because it builds capacity to extend relational leadership and help others. A major mistake is trying to help others before we learn to trust Christ to help us. Watch this. This is so biblical. Go to Galatians 6, 1-5. through Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. It's a beautiful passage because you see the tension that you and I normally resist and we normally fall to one of the other camps. Here's the first camp. See, he said that I'm to bear my own load. And so it's just about me bearing my own load and I don't need to be concerned about other people's loads and cares and issues in life. So it's just me. I'm going to take care of me. It's not my concern if other people can't take care of themselves. Then you got the other side. Look at all the other wrongs that need to be made right. Look at everything that needs to be fixed. You got the rescuer, you know, the savior. We need to fix it all. And they're forgetting that there's no chance in all being made right if they don't first learn to carry their own load. Here's the tension. God values personal leadership because it grows your capacity to then help others. And what God is doing in you is because He's got an end intended to do something through you. But God can't do what He intends to do through you or through us if we don't first learn the value of personal leadership. This is the tension. It's not either or, it's both and. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. I'm going to read it and then explain it, and then we'll, I'm going to give you an illustration. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. We all have the experience of what the Bible calls the cares of this life. That's part of your own load. Those cares are not going to go away. Now, my cares, some of my cares might be different than your cares. As a husband, I have part of the cares of life and the load i got to bear of being a husband, being a father. I'll have additional cares of being a leader and an overseer of a local congregation. Listen, these are all a type of care and weight. Of care and a weight. It's part of the load that I'm responsible to learn how to carry. When you go to the gym, or your home gym, this is a five-pound dumbbell. It's a load. It's a weight. Now watch this. The weight of this dumbbell never changes. It will always be five pounds. There will always be a load and be cares in your life. That won't change. But if I worked out with this, you can tell I don't, but if I worked out with this, my capacity, inner capacity would change where it would no longer feel as heavy in my experience, but has the weight changed? It's still five pounds. It's that my inner capacity has changed, therefore the load doesn't feel as heavy. Now, why is that important? Because there's other people that are around us that their load's so heavy they can't even get up out of their affliction, out of their struggles. They can't even move forward in life. And they need someone who has the capacity to be able to carry their own load where it no longer feels heavy so that they can then use their extra capacity to help lift them up out of their misery. So what God, the reason He values personal leadership is it builds your capacity and your space to then look around you and find someone else that needs to be ministered to. And the cares and the weight don't change. It's our capacity changes. And the cares of life don't change, but our capacity changes. And therefore... We're, we're still dealing with the same things. We got to steward our finances, and I got to steward my mouth, and I got to rule over my spirit, and I got to love my wife, and I got to train and admonish my children, and I got to oversee the church. But as the capacity grows, there's more space to say, you know, who else has God put around me that they're not even able to get up out of the bed in the morning? Who's so hurting and so hopeless that we can be extensions of the grace of God to help lift their load? See, God's intention's bigger than us. But it starts individually 
with each of us learning to trust Christ to bear our own load so that we would be in a place to help bear other people's load. Notice he said this is a light affliction. Third, these influences. See, you know another way that your right of choice is influenced? It's influenced by another influence, and this influence you had no right to choose. It's called the world and the culture you were born into. You did not get a vote on the world that you were born into. You didn't get a vote on the family you were born into. You didn't get a vote on the culture you were born into, and yet it's a type of weight upon you. And Paul says that it's like a light affliction. It's weighty, but God's wanting to use it to work something greater in us. And he mentions this exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Pastor Craig and I both preached out of the story, Mark 5, where Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, let us go over to the other side. We preached about it recently. Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and as soon as they launch out, it says that a storm arises, and it's raining, and the wind, and they allow the influence of the world around them that they can't control, so influence the exousia that they do have, and they allow it to influence them to fear and unbelief. Jesus is in the same experience, except he stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves, and they cease. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you cannot control the influence of the world around you. You couldn't control your upbringing. It's like an affliction. It's like a weight. But there's another weight that you now have opportunity to, the weight of Christ. Christ in you is the hope of a greater weightiness. Why is that important? Because Paul, the apostle, he taught about all this. And he said he was getting ready to lose his life for Christ. And he makes this statement. He said this, watch this. But none of these things move me. He's getting ready to be martyred for his obedience to Jesus. The elders around him are weeping. And he said, and yet none of the winds of culture and the world and even the the thought of me dying for Jesus moves me. Why? Because there was a greater weight in him, Christ in him, and the weight of Christ was stronger than the pressure and the affliction and the weight of the world around him. Now let me give you an example. The Bible says that we're also living stones. But the type of stones we're to be is what the Bible calls gold, silver. Sorry, I didn't have gold and silver, so <laughs> no need to look at my home. But, uh, but precious stones, these are precious stones. You can't find these just anywhere, okay? And what it represents is the weight of gold, silver, and precious stones represents the divine, only what God can do. And as vessels, Christ in us wants to be formed that the gold, silver, and precious qualities of Christ become a weight in us. That the weights of the world don't change. But the capacity in the forming of Christ within us becomes a greater weight. Why is this important? Because the winds and waves of culture are always going to rage. The influence of the world and temptation and and the culture of our upbringing is always going to rage. And here's why weight matters. It's that this was of greater weight. And as the people of God, 
We don't become a greater weight on our own, but God has provided in the gospel Christ in us to become a greater capacity and weight that though the world rages around us and though the influences of the flesh and the world and the devil can't change, it doesn't move us because they meets the substance of Christ in us. But the world and people without the substance of only what God can provide, gold, silver, and precious, they're easily manipulated and moved by the winds and the waves of culture and the influence of the enemy. See, listen, every culture has been conformed to some degree contrary to the original intent of God. Here's what's oftentimes forgotten. The world we live in and the culture you were born into are not self-existing realities. We treat them like they're self-existing realities. We talk about, let's change the world, pastor. We talk about, well, my upbringing was this way and it needs to be changed for future generations. And we talk about them as if they're self-existing realities. No, 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 listen. The world we live in and the culture of our upbringing exist because individual people use the exosia God gave them and made choices. And when you have a bunch of individuals making choices, that creates the world we live in and the culture of our upbringing. But we speak like we can change culture and and the thing of our upbringing as if they exist on their own. No, they only exist because individuals use the exosia God gave them to make choices that result in the world and the culture of our upbringing. So how do we start seeing the culture and the world change? By individuals learning to trust in the capacity and sufficiency of Christ in them who surrender and yield their exosia, their right of preference to Jesus's, and Jesus empowers them to think differently, to live differently, to act differently. And then you get another believer doing it. And before long, culture and the world's change because culture and the world only exist because individual choices have been made. It's like throwing one of these rocks into a lake. It splashes one time, but it doesn't stop the ripple. And we all, it's so easy to say, oh, I want to change the world and sit back and do nothing. And it's the opposite of biblical worldview. Change starts with me. Change in the culture starts with me and my individual choices, which means this. Listen, my choices have effect on the world and culture we all experience. If you see things that you don't like in culture in the world, how do you start impacting them? By understanding biblical worldview. That your personal choice contributes to the overall experience of the world and culture around us. So if you want that to change, then the way you start engaging in the change is by you being discipled by Jesus. See, my transformation and discipleship to Jesus gets the negative aspects of the world and the culture of my upbringing out of my life so that I no longer continue to contribute to those negative aspects in the world and in my family of heritage. But Christ through me starts displaying the values, the words, and the deeds of His kingdom and the mind of Christ. There's a story in 1 Kings 22, beginning in verse 45 and 50. Ban, you can come. It's the story of King Jehoshaphat. And it's an amazing story. really is. Because it says that Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophar. For gold. Now listen, all throughout Scripture, gold, silver, precious stones represents the divine quality of God, only what God can provide. And all of the Old Testament was given as a type of shadow to find a reality or a substance in Christ. So this story is given to reveal something. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, first comes the natural, then the spiritual. 
So it's given to us as a natural story, but it's trying to reveal something that is of spiritual substance in Christ. Now here's what the story says. So he starts commissioning the making of these ships, and they were going to sail and go for gold. But it says this in verse 48. Oh, okay, yeah. They were about to sail. They were excited. But then Scripture said this, but they never sailed. The beat stopped real quick. The dance party was over real quick. But they never sailed. Why? Watch this. For the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. You know what Ezion Geber means? Backbone of a man. The intent for the ships to sail and experience what only God can provide and make. We wish we could make gold. Especially right now, it's up. But we wish we could, but we can't. Only God and His processes can make it. That's why it's called a precious metal. They had the intention to sail the ship and to get only what God could provide. But they never sailed because the ships were wrecked on the backbone of man. Listen, you don't get the divine on the backbone of a man. You don't get the kingdom of God and only what God can do in your life, in the culture, in the world around us through the backbone of a man. And as believers, we need to repent of what is so common in the American culture that when we go through hard times, you hear time and time, but we're Americans. We're going to dig deeper. We're going to try harder. We're going to make it through this. No, 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 listen. You don't get the divine will of God by the backbone and the strength of a man. It's only by humbling our knee and saying, Oh, Jesus, you alone brought the kingdom. You alone are the way to experience the divine qualities of God. I can't get there in my own ability. I can't get there on my own intellect. I can't get there on my own strength. I need Christ in me to become the capacity to not only be able to carry my burdens and to lead my life well, but to have the capacity to look around at other people that need help in learning to lead their own life. The accountability before God and see the exosia God gave them be surrendered to the influence of Jesus instead of the influence of Satan and His kingdom. I thought about the vision of dwelling place where you're at right now, this community of believers, to manifest Christ in many ways to many people. Listen, there's a lot that God intends to do through this community. We want to see the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches, but we can't see initiatives that touch many people in the city, see local churches planted around the world on the backbone of a man. We cannot, in our own ability, get there. It's as we surrender from trusting our ability and say, Lord Jesus, it's only You in us. As we allow You to become the weight and the capacity to withstand the mindsets and the attitudes and, and the affliction and the pressures of the winds and waves of culture around us, that we will be able, having done all, to stand, to give no place to the devil, to be an instrument of the greater intention that you have to see Christ manifested on a larger scale. On a larger scale. And that's why your personal leadership is so valuable. Because your personal leadership builds capacity to walk properly towards those outside of the faith who need to know the only hope of the nations, Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. I think that God's plan and method is a lot different than you and I normally think and want to accept. We think, oh, it's got to be something big and amazing i got to do. God says, no, why don't you just start letting Christ in you? Why don't you start learning to trust Him as your capacity of all areas of life, that you start learning for His rule to empower you to rule your own life, your own choices, your own words, your own attitudes, that you learn to love others and you learn to live at peace with other brothers and sisters in the body. 
that then enables us to walk properly towards those that are outside currently of the household of faith. We think, oh, it's going to always be these supernatural miracles and these big initiatives. Here's what Paul tells the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 12, he says, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Key, that's how you know when the last time you heard from God is. God speaks indirectly through ministers about all the topics of God, but God speaks directly to His children about growing in love. If He's not challenged you to love deeply, then you should say, Holy Spirit, make me sensitive again to the voice of the Father. You're taught by God directly, not indirectly through a sermon, but directly by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Watch this. That you also aspire to do great things for God. To lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. God, I thought Jesus came, Lord, not just to save me and my home, but for the world. He says, I know, son. But what I'm doing in you is important because it's necessary for the end that I intend to do through you. DP, what I am desiring and how I'm moving in you right now is not the end of why God's moving in your life, but it's needed for the end intended by the Lord. After that, then he says, so that you may walk properly towards those that are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Maybe Jesus knew how vulnerable we were to think we knew the route to get culture and the world changed, and his thoughts and ways are so much higher that he made it clear in Scripture that it's going to be a little different than you think. And here's what Jesus said. It's very confronting. It's very difficult. It's very hard for even me. And here's what he says. Have salt in yourself and have peace with one another. At least you be trampled underfoot by culture. You won't be able to walk towards them in the way. Meaning it's as we love God and we learn to love each other, even with our differences, and we have peace with other brothers and sisters that the rule of Jesus of being able to rule over us a fool expresses all his feelings Proverbs says easy paper weighted believers get moved into the madness of the masses it's people that's allowed the weight of Christ to root them to tell them where to stand and where to move who's allowing the rule of Christ and His peace and love to then be able to walk properly into a culture that's so enslaved and moved by the right of influence of Satan upon them. See, offenses increase when your love for the Lord and His Word decreases. I'll say it again. Offenses increase when your love for the Lord and His Word decreases. And we have a choice to leave here. Because another right God gave you is you have the right to choose what you surrendered the rudder of your life to. You say, what rudder? James chapter 3 says that that little member in that hollow place on your head called your tongue is the rudder of your life. And God gave you the exosia. He gave you the right and privilege to choose what you will surrender your tongue to complaining and murmuring and anger that bowls over with words of anger or will you say no man, no backbone can tame even the tongue so I bow my knee to you God and Jesus Christ and I ask you Holy Spirit tongue tamer to come and get a tr control of my heart that even though I'm hurting, even though there's so much going on, you're still going to find the sacrifices of praise upon my lip. I'm not going to become a murmurer. I'm not going to become a complainer. I'm going to be grateful for what you've done in my life. I'm going to be grateful for your blood that's cleansed me. I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to keep the high praises of God upon my mouth. May we go out of here making that choice. Because lastly, when you're a vessel 
amongst vessels on a sailing ship, listen, you no longer get to believe and teach others whatever you want. They say, well, I don't want to be on that ship. No, no, sorry. Because I know most of you and you're already on the ship. When you make Jesus the Lord and leader of your life, you're not just joined to Him who's the head, you're joined to His body. His body is called the we are keep the pillars of truth. What we believe as Jesus' followers is not up to us to get to choose. It's already been determined. And this is where true spiritual authority comes. This is why we preach, biblical preachers don't preach opinions. They preach with spiritual authority because they preach what was already been handed down. When I get caught, when I got called in ministry. I had to surrender my right to think I get to teach and preach whatever I want. No, no. Jude said this. He said, the faith that's been handed down once and for all, delivered to the saints. You're no longer waiting for the Amazon package to come. You're no longer checking the email. You're not waiting for a download from heaven. It's already been downloaded. The pattern of, of sound teaching, New Testament doctrine has already been established long before all of us were born. And where you get not just the backbone of man, but you get the backbone of Christ and a boldness with the meekness, with true love and speaking a truth in love is when you surrender the right to believe and teach what you want and you submit to apostolic doctrine in the New Testament that's already been established. Because now your authority and your words aren't derived from you as the source. They're derived from God and the faith that's already been handed down. That's where true spiritual authority comes. That's why Paul in Romans 16, he said, Note those that cause divisions, divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you learned and avoid them. They're not serving the Lord. They're serving their own belly. Paul told Timothy, he said, you find people who will be faithful, who also find faithful persons, and you commit to them the pattern of sound teaching. In the kingdom of God, what we teach and believe is not up to us anymore when it comes to these spiritual things. It's already been delivered to us. And when you come under and submit to it, spiritual authority starts working through you because it's not your words. It's the established faith that's been handed down once and for all. Here's the other hard part. But that's why Jesus believed the benefit of knowing Him. His goodness was so great, you'd be foolish enough according to the world to do it. The world standards is that you do not get to live and walk however you want when you're a part of the body of Christ. Paul in Philippians 3.17, he said, Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. There's a pattern of good works. There's a pattern of what biblical faith in following Jesus looks like. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, we command you. Not suggest to you, not exhort, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Listen, there is a kingdom tradition that's for every church and every nation. It is unchanging. And it's not a suggestion, it's a command for all believers regarding how we walk and live. Now, listen, there is what's called local church culture, and that can change and should change. But kingdom culture never changes. Where does spiritual authority of Christ through spiritual leaders and brothers and sisters towards it, where is the line drawn? It's very simple. Listen. The line is drawn that you can only command another brother and sister where Scripture commands. The authority is not in us. It's in the commands of Scripture. But here's the other point. You cannot just exhort a brother and sister where there's a command. Let me give you an example. I don't have any, there's no way for even Christ working through me to have the spiritual authority to take control of your finances and tell you exactly what to do with every penny. Some of you would be happier. You would be much happier if I did. That's another sermon, but I don't have the spiritual authority to do that, but you would be happier. Why? Because all I can do there is exhort you as a brother of some biblical truths that might inform your decisions regarding every penny of your finances. But I can't command. When it comes to what job you do, I can't command you what job to take. But we can exhort you through biblical 
teachings. So the line is drawn towards brother to brother, sister to sister, towards us and in spiritual leader, is you can only command where God's commanded. And you exhort where God's exhorted. Exhort is I'm appealing, I'm encouraging, but there's no authority there. It's just based on the relationship of trust. I can influence, but it's not. But listen, there's some areas where there's commands. You go read 1 Corinthians 5 tonight. And a believer was in willful sin, willfully walking contrary to what was God's standard for every follower of Jesus. And Paul said, listen, you can't even eat with one. Why? In hopes that they, their spirit would be saved and they'd come to repentance. What's it mean? We are one member now, a part of a body of Christ. And our personal choices now are to be surrendered to the right and influence of Jesus, our King, of what He's called us to. Why does it matter? Listen, because God's intention for all of us is greater what He wants to do through us if we'll let Him have His way. Say, well, I'm not coming back to church. I don't want that kind of accountability. Now listen, you're already going to be accountable for it because Ephesians 2.10 says when God created you, Through the new birth in Christ, you were created for good works. And go read in the New Testament of every reference of a good work in the New Testament and you'll find it's always done in some relationship and connection with other brothers and sisters. The good works can't be done as a lone ranger. And we're going to give an account. But now's our time to say, God, start with me. Move with me because I know you're moving in me. It's because you've got a greater intention of what you want to do through me. And if each of us were to do that, then just imagine what God could do corporately through all the believers here to help people around us that need to know the hope and the taste and the goodness of another king named Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.